All right, it's uh, only been three weeks since the last time that we were together in church. It feels like a lifetime ago, to me at least. Uh, so much has happened since then. I remember talking a little bit about us being agents of peace uh, during this unsettled time. And I really just want to encourage you to continue to be exactly that. I also remember talking a little bit about maybe challenging you and challenging myself uh, to be gracious during this time. And again, I, I think uh, it's, you know, it's always easy to be gracious toward people that think exactly like you do and that have the same opinions, etc. Uh, being gracious really gets tested when we connect with people or see people uh, that have different opinions than we do. And no doubt during a, an unsettled time like we're in right now, uh, we're going to meet a lot of people that have different opinions and that are on a different place on the scale of of how they view uh, all of what is happening. And so I, again, just want to encourage you, encourage myself to continue to be people that are gracious. Um, one of my brother's favorite parting words to me over the years have been, uh, press on. And so I guess that's what I'm saying to all of us is during this time, uh, press on, press on with being God's agents of peace, press on with being God's conduit of grace. I want to thank you all for the encouragement that has come our way as pastors. We're still trying our best to facilitate what it is to be church in this kind of an environment. Uh, I would also like to take this time to really personally and publicly thank Jesse for all that he has done for us as a church family in the past couple of weeks. His knowledge of technology and his ability to, to think in that realm I would say has been just a, an incredible blessing to us as a church family. And um, maybe we could even say that it's a, it's a little symbol of, of God knowing what he was doing when he was leading us as a church family to implement some leadership changes during the course of the past several years. So, so thank you, Jesse. He's actually right behind the camera here right now as we speak. And, uh, and I, I'd like to go over and give him a big hug. But apparently um, that's going to have to wait a little bit also. But but for now, um, thank you, Jesse. You have been an, are a huge blessing and an encouragement to our church family. Jesse began last week with a little series of messages that we kind of dreamed up together. Uh, a short series, we hope. Uh, we're actually not quite sure how long it's going to be. It's kind of an open-ended series. Um, a series that we felt could bless us as a church family as we walk this COVID-19 virus journey together, where we would take time to remind ourselves of some of the details of God's promises to some of the prominent Old Testament characters. Uh, we quickly decided that this was not going to be a chronological journey through the Old Testament, uh, and so you're going to find us jumping back and forth a little bit with the kind of, uh, or the, the characters that we pick and choose to speak about. Jesse did a great job of helping us kind of glean some assurance and encouragement from God's promises to Gideon last week. I especially actually like the connection that he made between what God was asking Gideon to do when God was challenging him to slowly kind of whittle down the size of his army, and how we in some ways have been challenged to strip away many of the non-essentials in our lives in the past few weeks. And Gideon finally coming to a place where he realized that 
if he was going to survive, then his hope truly was going to be solely in God and God taking over. And I have wondered, especially during this last week, I've been asking since Jesse spoke about that and, and reminded me or us of that, um, I've been wondering where we are at in that trajectory. I've been asking myself where I am at on that trajectory of coming to a place where where I'm okay with things being stripped away and and really completely trusting in God. Today, I want to take a look. Um, well, the children's story kind of gave it away already. Uh, I want to look at Noah. I want to look at God's promises to, to him. Uh, Noah is probably one of the most notable characters in the Old Testament. Certainly he's a very common character in many children's uh, Bible story books. I remember different songs, children's songs, uh, also hearing them even in our house when our kids were growing up. I remember one um, so when something like this, you know, the Lord told Noah to build him an arky arky. Lord told Noah to build him an arky arky. And then it went something like, so rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Children of the Lord. Something like that. You'll forgive me for not being on tune very well. That's not my gift. But uh, Noah and the ark. That's what we want to speak about a little bit this morning. So the story begins in Genesis chapter 6, uh, somewhere about in the middle of Genesis. Uh, in, in chapter 6, verse 9, here's what it says. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. We'll jump to verse 13. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. We're not going to dive too far into, you know, some of the theological aspects of that. That's simply the way it's recorded here, and, and that becomes the setting in which God works with his servant, Noah. Now keep reading the last half of chapter 6, and you're going to see God giving Noah this, this huge task uh, of building the ark, and he gives him the dimensions, the size, and then he tells him that he's going to need to bring into that ark animals. I remember another song, actually. No, don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for you. But it went something like, you know, two by two, the donkey or the giraffe and the kangaroo, something like that. Um, and God is giving Noah this huge task of what he wants him to do. Uh, and all because God is going to destroy the earth and humanity and everything because of the degree to which evil has taken over. And Noah is going to be the one that's kind of going to be the only link from, from the old earth to the new earth. That leads us to the first promise that God makes to Noah. And that promise is, I will save you. 
In chapter 6, verse 18, it says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Jump to chapter 7, verse 17. For 40 days the waters kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The earth is down here, and Noah and his family are up here. So let me say it like this, and then I'm going to speak a little bit about it. Uh, God's promise. I will save you above the earth. That's what it says here. Noah and his family are in the ark, and the waters come for 40 days and nights, and the waters lift the ark high above the earth. God's saving will be high above the earth. Someone posted something this last week about an eagle and how an eagle uses the winds of a storm to soar up, 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 so that they are actually soaring above the wind and the storm while the storm is taking place down here. Some of you may have seen that also. It's an amazing illustration. Only problem is it's actually not true. Uh, the eagle story is not true. You know, it sounds really cool, but eagles don't actually do that. It's a little reminder, I guess, to check out the reliability of something before believing it, and for sure before reposting it. So, even though we can't use the eagle as an illustration, God does still make a promise here to Noah that he actually keeps on giving to humanity throughout the rest of the Bible. I will keep you safe. I will save you in non-earthly ways. I think there's something there for us North American Christians. I feel like we have somehow kind of gotten sucked into thinking that, that God is supposed to save me here on earth. When I spoke to you three weeks ago, I spent a little bit of time with you looking at John chapter 14, verse 27, where it says, uh, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Hmm. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. God will save you above the earth. Or maybe we should say beyond this earth. And I'm tempted to say, ah, I, you know, I, I wish I could fully get that in my heart. And then I wonder, do I really want to fully get that in my heart? I'm wondering, though, if that is one of the things that God's children are being invited during this time to reestablish for themselves. I'm good with God saving me beyond this earth. The ultimate saving that I'm after is the beyond the earth saving. I did something really crazy a week ago. I listened for 45 minutes to a conspiracy theorist. He actually had some interesting points about how this present COVID-19 crisis and how the world is handling it kind of fits into a, a much bigger world view that he has been presenting for the past 30 years. 
Um, when I was done listening to it, I, I shared some of uh, some of it with Pearl, and <laughs> she uh, really thanked me for sharing that with her just before she was about to go to bed. You know, it was it was exactly the kind of relaxing information that she needed that was going to help her to be able to fall asleep. Not, uh, but I said to her, and really I said it just as much to myself as to as to her. Uh, because I needed reminding of it just as much as she did. I said, really, whether this guy is right or not, whether China is really that bad or not, or how bad COVID is or isn't, or how bad Russia is or isn't, or how bad the elite rich world cult is or isn't, it actually doesn't change anything. Because we are trusting in someone that is above all this, in a God who put this all in place, who created everything that we're living in, who knew last year and actually a hundred years ago exactly when COVID would hit and how hard it would hit and how it was all going to turn out. He knows and, and he, is, he is the one that has promised that he will save us beyond this earth. We struggle like crazy with believing this in our hearts. I feel like North American Christianity has slipped more and more into believing that God's salvation is actually meant for us down here. That things should somehow be better for me here on earth if I am a follower of Jesus. The Bible does not promise that to us. In fact, I could make a pretty good case for the Bible promising us the opposite. So I believe the way God fulfills his promise to Noah here is, is meant for and as an illustration for us that he will save us above this earth. His saving is far bigger than earthly safety or physical healing or financial prosperity or social popularity or a problem-free life. And I wonder if these types of crises times are times when we are being invited to establish that for ourselves again. God's second promise to Noah. I like this. Check chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. Stop there for a minute. I like this follow-up to the first promise. Here's kind of how I see it. You know, it's kind of like Noah would say, see, I mean, God, it's really great for you to promise to me that you are going to save me above this earth. Thank you very much, God. I appreciate that and all, and I want to believe in that, and I want to be thankful for that, and I want to focus on that as much as I can, but right now, I'm still here on this earth. We still have a crisis here right now. And God says, hang on, hang on. I hear you. I hear you. And I will remember you on earth. I think that's a pretty awesome promise. I can imagine that Noah, by now, may have been wondering a time or two in the past 40 days, actually, plus another 150 days following. I don't know if you've actually ever stopped or tried to imagine how Noah may have been feeling by now. 
Speaking of isolation, actually, <laughs> has it ever crossed your mind that Noah knows all about waiting out a world crisis while staying in isolation? You follow me? I, I kind of feel pretty good because I thought of that all by myself. Um, Noah knows all about waiting out a world crisis while staying in isolation. I was amazed when I was about halfway through chapter 7. The animals are all in the ark. Then Noah and his family go into the ark, and this is what it says. Then the Lord shut him in. Exact words used in my NIV Bible at the end of verse 16. Then the Lord shut him in. Wow. Speaking of isolation. And they were not looking outside at sunshine and beautiful temperatures and birds chirping in the trees and trees starting to bud. No, but for 40 days and 40 nights, rain. I assume low-hanging clouds, no sunshine, more and more and more rain. We used to, when we were in the construction world, we used to use that phrase. You know, we saw a rain cloud coming and we would... We would quickly gather, gather a few of our tools and we'd run into the coffee shack and after a while uh, of hearing it rain on the outside, one of the guys would open up the door and he would poke his head out and he'd take a look to the west and, uh, and just to check you know, what, what was coming or where things were at. And, uh, and then he'd come back and he'd, he'd be back in the, in the shed again and, and the guys would ask, so what does it look like? And he'd say, huh, 40 days and 40 nights. We really had no idea what 40 days and 40 nights meant, literally. But what he was saying is there's no hope in sight. There's nothing out there that makes it look like this is ever going to change. And for Noah, those 40 days and those 40 nights must have been crazy as far as isolation is concerned. That was a crisis. Right now, our world faces a crisis too. Regardless of how you look at it, we are in a crisis mode. In my 56 years of life, I have never witnessed the world in this type of crisis mode. Some of you who lived through a world war and the 57 Asian flu, you have seen some of this before. I have not. Hear God's promise to Noah in the middle of that isolation, in the middle of that world crisis was, I will remember you while you are on earth. I like the second half of this verse, chapter 8, verse 1. God remembered Noah and the ark, and then it says, And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. And then in the next 14 verses in, in chapter 8 here, that is the account of how slowly, bit by bit, the crisis began to settle down. First it quit raining. That's a good start. Imagine the sun came out, breath of fresh air, at least if the sun coming out after days and days and days of rain and low-hanging cloud affected Noah the same way that does me. Then the water levels began to go down, the ark settles. All of a sudden, they notice it's not floating anymore. Then the mountain peaks begin to show, and then more land, and the water keeps on receding. Bit by bit, the crisis Recedes. And then finally in verse 14, this, is, this, this must have been an amazing moment 
By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry, free of COVID-19. I mean, free of flood waters. And then read verse 15. And then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Can you imagine? Well, maybe we can even just a little bit right now since we're all trying to do the stay-at-home thing. But can you imagine the joy of hearing God say those words to Noah and the rest of them? Come out of the ark. And they really, finally, we get to come out of the ark. Finally, we get to come out of isolation. If you have time. Actually, are you kidding me? Most of us have lots of time right now. So, since you have time, I would like to encourage you to read Genesis chapter 8 and kind of translate it into our present crisis, the the COVID-19 and our fear of it, and imagine how it will slowly recede from its control of our earth, and one day in the future, it will simply be a part of the history that our grandchildren and great-grandchildren will be studying about in school. That is what will happen to our crisis also just like the world crises that have happened in the past. And in the meantime, we remind ourselves of this promise. Friends, God has not forgotten about us here on earth. And then God makes a further promise to Noah as they they come out of the ark. Check out chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. It's God's third promise to Noah, according to my little outline at least. Now, uh, pause for just a moment there. See, almost always when I, when I get to speak and, and prepare a, a, a message about a story or a section in the Bible that's actually quite familiar, where I kind of feel like I, I think I know it all already. I've been through this so many times since I was a kid. Um, you know, and, and the story is, is quite familiar. Almost every time, uh, suddenly out of nowhere, it seems comes this new nugget of truth that I that I never actually took note of before that just kind of amazes me. That, that is this next promise of God to know. I had never actually taken note of this before. I was trying to figure out how to turn this nicely into a promise statement like the others. And so here's how I'm going to put it. Um, I love your worship from the earth. How did I get that? So Noah and his family come out of the ark and they build an altar and they present a sacrifice to God. And then listen to what God says in chapter 8, verse 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, did you get that? The aroma of human earthly worship rises to God. And God says, as that aroma rises to him, God says, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. I find it interesting. God has just come from, I am done with humanity. They are evil and I can't handle them anymore. And you know what? I am going to destroy them. I'm going to solve this evil problem of humans forever. From that, he goes to, you know what? I don't actually want the earth to be void of humans. I actually 
Even though I know that I'm not going to solve their evil problem, I actually don't want to do without their worship. Even though their worship is weak and insufficient and it often comes from selfish motivation and sinful hearts, even though their worship is very, very earthly, it smells good to me and I like it. And I will not get rid of humanity and the earth that I created for them, even though it is often a very, very messed up place. I love your worship from the earth. And then God's fourth promise. It's in the next verse, chapter 8, verse 22. God says, As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. We got almost all of that this past week, actually, uh, here in Manitoba. The promise from God here is, I will sustain the earth for you. In this very unique moment in human history, here in this story, there are eight people, they've just come out of the ark, they're standing there, the earth has just been devastated by a flood. Yeah, as a family, they've been saved, but here they stand, and everything around them is devastated. Try to imagine for a moment, physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, everything is kind of a haze and a fog and a blur. Nothing is really clear and, and nothing is certain. Now what? Some of you can imagine. Maybe most of us. Because at some point in our lives, we've experienced something like that as a result of a death or an accident, or a sickness, or depression, or an addiction, or a financial setback, or job loss, or a relationship breakup, or some other crazy life-altering event or circumstance. Some ways we're actually experiencing that right now in our world with this virus crisis. And the big question is, what now? Into that confusing moment, God speaks this kind of big picture promise, words of assurance on the larger scale, not just, you know, personally to me or personally to you, but big picture, earth picture, people, people remember. Sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. Hey guys, remember, I got this. I will sustain this earth. And if you read the first little section in chapter 9, God makes it clear that he is sustaining it for us to live in and enjoy. I invite you to read the first little bit of chapter 9 on your own. Science has helped us discover so much more about our universe, you know, since this was written. Many of you know that I've been kind of intrigued by the size and the vastness of the universe. And I think I can hear God say, hey people, if I can sustain all of that, if I can sustain 
the entire universe, a universe that is so large that within it, the earth itself is merely a speck, then I want to assure you that I can sustain the earth also. And I will sustain it for you humans to live in and enjoy. And there will be seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. I have got this. Trust me. Amen. <laughs>